passion for God, and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. And as you know, we have been in uh, 1 Peter for the last uh, few weeks. We've been working our way through this book, and right now we are ready to start 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 13 is where we're going to be at. And uh, the last couple weeks, um, we were looking at a hymn that was written by Peter. It was a hymn that Peter himself wrote. Uh, the first few verses, verses 3 through 9, was this hymn written by Peter talking about how big God is. That we worship a very big God and a God that is worthy to be praised and how that is very good news for us in the midst of our suffering because we can trust him in the midst of those hard times. That was verses 3 through 9 of 1 Peter chapter 1. And then we looked uh, last week at 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 10 through 12. And, and this is the rest of Peter's hymn. And, and Peter transitions from focusing on how big God is to now looking at how great and glorious the gift of salvation that we've been given is. And so he focuses on this gift of salvation, how, uh, how incomprehensible it is, and how it leads to a response. See, as Christians, we are called to respond to this gift, to this gospel, through worship. If you're not a Christian, you're called to respond to the gift of this gospel through repentance and faith. But whatever the case is, you are called to respond to this beautiful, glorious gift that God has given us. Now, I mention that because that kind of sets the foundation for our discussion this morning. See, Peter, as we get to verse 13, kind of switches gears. And, he, and he, instead of focusing on what we've been given, he now says, okay, now that we've talked about what you've been given, let's say now how you're supposed to live because of the way that, that God has blessed you through giving you salvation. And that's what Peter does here in verses 13 through 21. Now, I love these verses because uh, in the midst of all that Peter says and does about how we should live holy lives, in the midst of all that, he keeps bringing us back to those verses that we just talked about. He keeps bringing us back to the fact that God has blessed us immensely, and that he gives us a reason for why we are called to live holy lives in this world. See, the command to holy living is, living is not just given to us in a vacuum. It's not like God just says, okay, you need to be good just because I said so. He gives us reasons for why we are called to live holy lives around the people that we are around. He gives us reasons to live lives that glorify him, that honor him in every aspect and facet of our days. See, the truth is we can't have verses 13 through 21 that talk about holy living without first looking at verses 1 through 12. Because the call to holiness without the call of the gospel leads to moralism. The call to holiness without hearing the, the good news of the gospel just leads us to live lives that are just moral. That aren't a, a response to God for the gracious gift that he has given us. And, and that's what we want to remind ourselves of as we are looking at these verses here this morning. Now, during World War II, there was a German theologian, a German pastor. And actually, he was an, an insurgent who uh, was a part of a plot to assassinate uh, Hitler during World War II. And uh, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And one of his most famous books is this book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in The Cost of Discipleship, he tells us that it is not the non-Christian, it's not the, the sinful, the sinner who is called to be holy. It's the Christian. It's the saint who is called to live a life of holiness. And, and 
in a way, that's what Peter is getting at right here. He's telling us that as Christians, we are called to live holy lives because of what God has done for us. We don't do these things as a way to earn God's favor and to get to be a part of God's family, but we do these things because we are a part of his family and we are accepted by him. Now, what exactly does it mean to be holy? I think a lot of times when we think of holiness, we can sometimes think of church. Uh, the church is supposed to be holy. Uh, sometimes, honestly, we can think of people who are a little pretentious, that they think that they are better than us and stuck up. They are a little holier than thou, if you've heard that phrase. Uh, sometimes it can just come across as really boring, uh, really boring life, that, that holiness equi- is equal to being boring. But that's not what the word holiness really means. Holiness is actually a term that refers to space and location and, and distance between other people. It doesn't have really much to do with uh, living a moral life. If you look at uh, Abraham Lincoln's uh, address at Gettysburg, he calls Gettysburg a hallowed grounds. In other words, what he's saying is that this ground is set apart because something significant happened here. I think that's a really important way for us to look at holiness in our own lives as well. Holiness means that we have been set apart. And the reason we've been set apart is because something very significant happened in us when we came to faith in Jesus. We're called to live set apart lives, lives that don't make sense to the rest of the world around us because of what God has done us. It does, that does include uh, living a moral, good, ethical life, but it's so much more than that because it's a life that God wants us to live, a, a life that is God-honoring. Now we go through all that just to kind of focus on what we're going to talk about this morning as we look at verses 13 through 21. If we look at verses 13 through 21, we're going to see that it isn't about trying harder. It isn't about trying to look better in the eyes of those who are around us. It's it's an act of response to God when we live holy lives. In fact, Peter, as he's giving us this passage, really gives us five things that we are called to remember. Five things that we're called to remember as Christians. It's really interesting because remembering is kind of passive. It's something that we do, but it's, it's ultimately not something that we do, if that makes sense. It's something that we remember. And, and Peter gives us five things to remember as we are looking at why we should live holy lives and how these lead to holy lives. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning, looking at those five different areas. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to verse 13 of chapter 1 in First Peter. If you don't have a Bible, the passage is going to be printed on the screen here behind me. Uh, so please follow along with me as I read aloud, starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This passage tells us first and foremost, that we need to remember our future. 
We need to remember our future. Take a look again at verse 13 here. It says, uh, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's interesting because when we talk about remembering things, a lot of times uh, it typically refers to something that happened in the past. It's something that we have experienced and we, we draw our memories back to that. But what Peter is telling us here is to set our hope, set our focus on what is coming. Peter is telling us to remember what God has promised us, what God will do for us when he returns one day. And this is really good news for us as Christians in the midst of our hard times and in our difficulties, that we can set our hope on God in the future, that he is going to come back for us. It gives us the strength to carry on in the midst of those difficulties and hardships. But it also gives us strength to carry on in the midst of our battle with sin. See, the fact that we know that Jesus is coming back is we know that there is one day going to be a time where our, sin, our struggle with sin is over and gives us the chance and the strength to endure in the midst of it. So how do we set our hope on this grace? How do we consciously remember what God has promised us about the future? Well, first thing is that we, we do it consciously. This is what Peter is referring to when he says, prepare your minds for action. He's telling us to be deliberate about this. Make a conscious decision and an effort to focus on the future. Focus on what God has promised us as Christians and what will happen to us. This is not something that just comes about when we live a passive life. But we have to focus on this intentionally in our lives. So we do it consciously, but also we do it fully. This is what Peter is referring to when he says, sober-minded. We set our attention and our hope fully on the fact that God is coming, that God will return for us as Christians. This is very good news for us. So we remember our future. That's the first thing Peter tells us. The second thing is this. Remember your roots. Remember your roots. Take a look at verses 14 through 16 here. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. In these passages, or in these verses, Peter is really telling us two different uh, understandings, two different tales of our past. They're contradictory, but they're both true. The first one that Peter tells us is that we were enslaved to passions and ignorance in the past. The reality is each and every one of us comes to the church with a lot of baggage. For some of us, it's just a little bit of baggage. For others, it's a lot of baggage. But each and every one of us, if it was for one year or five years or 10 or or even 50 or more, has sought after things that were ignorant. We sought after satisfaction in things that couldn't satisfy us. We sought after praise and honor from things that weren't worthy of praise and honor. We chased after ignorant things. Again, it doesn't matter if we did it for uh, just a couple years and we became a Christian early in our life or if it was something that happened at the last stages of our life. We were enslaved to the passions of ignorance and something that, uh, that Peter warns us against falling back into those habits. So that's one reality of our past. But the other thing that, that Peter tells us is another truth about who we are. And that is that we are God's children. God has adopted us as his children and has chosen us to be his children. So when now, when God looks at us, he sees us clothed with Christ. He looks at us and sees the righteousness of Christ. No longer does he see the, the passions of ignorance that, that former ruled, formerly ruled us, but now he sees Jesus himself, that we are righteous in his sight. 
Remember your roots, that God has chosen you, that you are a part of his family in the midst of all these things and these times. See, we live in a uh, very transient society. We, we live in a place where a lot of people move around. And uh, if I were to ask how many of you live, uh, grew up in this area and now live in the same place, basically, that you, that you grew up in, uh, not many would say yes. Uh, even fewer would probably say that you're doing the exact same thing as your parents did. Now, there are some that, that would say that. Uh, but most of us are transplants into this community. But that's not the way it was in the first century. In the first century, your future was determined by your past. If your parents, uh, if your father was a fisherman, then you could bet that you were going to be a fisherman. If your parents were merchants, then you could probably bet that you were going to be a merchant. There are some exceptions, but as a whole, that's the way things worked out. And that's why this phrase, this concept of being children of God is, is so significant when we talk about living lives of holiness. Because as you were a fisherman and training to be a fisherman, your parents were, and your father was a fisherman, you would try to mimic him in everything that he did so that way you could be just as good at your craft someday as he was in his craft. So you would follow in his footsteps so closely, trying to mimic everything that he did. That's why Peter is telling us to be holy because we're obedient children. We are children of God, and as such, we should follow him by living lives of holiness. Remember your roots. The third thing is this. Remember who God is. Take a look at verse 17. And if you call on him who is him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Right here, Peter points out that God is very holy, uh, that God is perfectly holy, and that he is a judge. And because of that, we should live lives that are respectful to God, lives that uh, are reverent, that, that count him as worthy of honor. This is what happens in the book of Isaiah when Isaiah comes face to face with God himself. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 6, I just want to read this to you here. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips." My, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, after Isaiah sees God for who he truly is, he is overcome with fear. He's overcome with respect for who God is. He realizes just who he is dealing with. He actually calls down a curse upon himself because of the gap between him and God in that passage. And that's what Peter is telling us here. That there is a massive gap between who we are and what we think is righteous and between what God actually is as fully, perfectly righteous in all that he does and all that he says. And that leads to a life of honor and respect. That's what it means to fear God. If you have read the book, uh, The Fellowship of the Ring, one of the Lord of the Rings, uh, and just as a side note, um, the books are a lot better than the movies, and I like the movies, but the books are a lot better. And in the book, one of the characters, his name is Gimli, and he's, uh, he's just encountered a beautiful, powerful, wonderful queen named Galadriel. And as he is leaving Galadriel, he says that he would never have gone on this quest 
if he would have known the danger of love and joy. He would have never gone on this quest if he would have known the danger of love and joy. See, God is good, perfectly good. He's perfectly righteous. But that doesn't mean he isn't dangerous. It doesn't mean that he isn't worthy of respect. That's what Gimli is referring to after meeting this queen. That's what Peter is referring to here, that God is worthy of honor and respect in all that we do because he is a perfectly good judge. We should remember who God is. Next, we should remember our redemption. Take a look at verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Last week we talked a lot lot about our redemption, and we mentioned how wonderful a gift it was that God had given us. The beautiful gift of redemption, the most uh, incomprehensible, most invaluable gift in the universe. I won't get into that again. I just, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to, to listen to that uh, sermon online uh, on our website. But the price that was paid for us to redeem us was beyond comprehension. Remember your redemption. And finally, remember your faith. Remember your faith. Take a look at verses 20 and 21. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter closes his, this little section by calling people to look at Jesus. And that's really an appropriate way for us to close this morning. To look at Jesus. Peter is telling us to remember our faith and remember who we have faith in. If you remember a couple weeks ago when we were talking about faith, we said it doesn't matter uh, how much faith you have. It doesn't matter the quality of your faith. What matters is the object of your faith, where you are placing your faith. In fact, faith really isn't about faith at all. It's about Jesus. It's about him. And if you look upon Jesus daily, if you remember your faith in him and what he has done for you, the sin within you will die. Looking at Jesus kills sin within us. It calls, it calls us to live a holy life, and it causes us to live a holy life. Now, that doesn't mean that we look at Jesus every morning for five minutes, and then we're going to live a perfect day for the rest of the day. That's, that's not what happens. It might take us years to combat and eventually kill the sin within us. But looking at Jesus each day, remembering our faith in him each day, leads to a holy life. See, that's why I love the gospel. I love the gospel because it's so different from what the world tells us to do. The world tells us that we should live better lives, and and it gives us tons of self-help books. In fact, that's the number one selling genre of book today, self-help. But the gospel tells us that we can't help ourselves. We can't make ourselves better. Only Jesus can. That's what this text is telling us. It's telling us that we should look at Jesus because he's the only one who's going to help us live holy lives, to live set-apart lives because something significant happened to us when we put our faith in him. That's what this text is about. This text really is just telling us that remembering what God has done for us and remembering who God is leads to a God-honoring life. Remembering who God is and what God has done 
leads to a God-honoring life. We honor God with everything that we have. We honor Him with our lips, with our actions, with our deeds. All of these things are signs of worship. And everything that we do as a Christian starts with that truth. That God has done enough for us and we look to Jesus in the midst of that. This morning we're going to have an opportunity to look and discern how God is calling us to serve him in that way. Um, We're going to have uh, Steve and and Caitlin and Lindsay come up here and lead us in in one more song. And then after that, uh, we're actually going to... uh, head over to the activity center and there are going to be some tables set up over there. would invite you to uh, grab your binder. If you didn't grab a, uh, have a binder handed to you uh, as you're walking in, we have some more and we can, we can make sure you get one. And uh, we just invite you to go around to the different tables and, and see uh, the different ministries and opportunities to serve, but also to get plugged in here at Crosswinds. And would love for you to uh, see how God is calling you to serve him by living a holy life in the midst of all these things. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for all that you have done. And we thank you that it is from that place that we are able to move forward. It's from that place that we are able to seek your face. And to grow lives set apart for your glory and for holiness, God. God, we pray for your blessing as we go forth from here and ask that you would be glorified in us. That your name would be exalted in us. And Father, that we would live holy lives, uh, not only on Sundays, uh, not only with our families, but uh, see how you are calling us to serve you in our occupations on Monday through Friday. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.